to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shalon, Mr. Rob, and Zane. Today we're joined by Patrick Ryan at the PR the, the P Ryan Collection memorabilia expert. I wanted to start off by saying, you know, I know we spoke a little bit behind the scenes before the um the recording. Um, your Instagram caption, I love it. It says, "Collect what you love," That's and right. I think that really captures the essence of where we are today in terms of just everything in collective memorabilia. You know, um, people for some reason get roped into that, you know, there is, I guess, um, almost something that specifically constitutes memorabilia when you start thinking about cards or jerseys or whatever it is. But I just feel like that the age that we're living in, anything that somebody else considers to be valuable can be considered memorabilia. And I wonder for you, um, when did, I guess, when did you realize that this could actually be a business for you you know i guess there's a little bit of collecting in my bloodlines like i think about my aunt sheila and she would make scrapbooks and photo albums of all her nieces and nephews and so i think people that are orientated towards keeping photos and kind of keeping mementos they're going to be inclined to be collectors um i mean i you know i grew up in stanford connecticut um, and my first ever business dealings was instead of setting up a lemonade stand, I set up a little baseball card table outside of my road. I lived on a very busy road, so no one was stopping. But, but coincidentally, like a guy, you know, in a black Corvette, you know, think like it's 1986. So like, just think of like the connotations and like how, how impressive that was. And he was like, hey man, I, I like what you're doing. And he handed me $20. And I was like, well, what cards do you want? He's like, no, nah, man, I don't want any cards. And he just sped off. Um, that was the only money I got that day. But like, it stuck with me that he clearly was telling me that there's something to, to just trying to put, hang your shingle, you know, like you got to tell people you're open for business. Right. Um, and then I, you know, I would say like 11, 12 years old, I'd go to baseball card shows and set up and, and try to sell stuff. And, and, and I would learn a lot about markets. Um, one of the earliest things I learned was like, for example, let's just say I'm in, I moved to Houston and like Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio are like the hottest players. Oh, and so most, most popular. And so I'm thinking like, oh, this is a good place to get high value for my Craig Biggio's and Jeff Bagwell's. Well, all these dealers who came from out of state, they were liquidating Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. Oh, and I'm wow. like, why are y'all liquidating Bagwell and Biggio? Like, because they're not sellable in Philadelphia. They're not sellable in Miami. So this is our chance just to get rid of the inventory. And I was like, okay, well, let me buy some of this stuff. And then I can sell it on the schoolyard where that's all people want. Right. And so markets are just very dynamic geographically. Um, I think about like a little bit of the hustle that, that I didn't really even realize exists. You know, like there's different brands of baby formula that you can't get in Nebraska. And so like people go to Target in Texas and they scan the UPC code. And if Amazon sold out, they buy it and post it on Amazon and double their money. My, my yeah. son does that. My, my youngest son actually does that. He does drop shipping. Um, so he's been able to get items like bikes that we have, he has access to. He'll order a bike from Walmart that it may cost him $100 and he can sell it for $300 to somebody online. You know, and I remember, you know, I was all, I hate the term hustler because I think it sort of diminishes like just buying and selling and knowing markets. But I mean, at six, 16 years old, maybe I was closer to 20 when like the P, uh, 18, when the PS2 first came out 
And I couldn't understand, I'm in Houston and I'm in Best Buy and there's thousands of these things stacked up, but I'm buying them and making an immediate $75. And I eventually started looking at the labels. No one I was shipping these things to were near a mall. I mean, they were all in the middle of nowhere. You know, and, and, and so it was real distribution. They had no other way of getting the product efficiently. Um, and obviously that all changes. You've also got to be prepared for Best Buy to start setting up distribution centers in a different place or GameStop to start shipping in a different manner. So you, you got to realize that the free money, if it's really free money like that was, it's not going to last long. Um, and so I would say that those early lessons before I like was even really in college, those were really good foundations for what might seem obvious isn't like the Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio lesson. And then if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So make the money and be prepared for it to like go away at some point. Yeah, right, right. How, how, does, how does one avoid fakes and frauds and bootleg copies of, of, of cards? So, you know, if you went to a card show in like 1992, which was kind of like towards the back half of the peak of the card hobby, half, of the 1950s stuff, the Willie Mazes, the Mickey Mantles, half of it at a show was fake, just flat out fake. And so what happened was um, this company called PSA, and here's actually my favorite John Morant card because the picture on it. Mm, uh, They they authenticate it and they encase it and they now grade it. And so this is a PSA 10 on a scale of one to 10. So, you know, I'm not gonna buy a card from the 1950s that's not encased unless I'm gambling or like it was some like treasure hunt find that the family just pulled out of an attic or something. And so the companies like Beckett, PSA, SGC, they go, they've gone a long way towards, you know, making sure that it's authentic. And just like, and like with tickets too, like people still get like scammed on tickets because wow. they're on Craigslist and it's like, it's half the cost on StubHub. And it's like, right. come on, man. Like what, what do you really think's happening here? You know, like, Right. You know, so, so, so if you're new to it, you definitely like no one should go out there buying like raw cards from the 1950s. Raw is a card that's not in a case, so that that's a key way of just making sure you're on the up and up. But what what give what give what give cards or any memorabilia is value? Well, you know, I think inherently it's got to be uh, attractive or meaningful, right? like inherently. And then when we start thinking about like the 1990s and how hot the cards from the 1950s were, that's just nostalgia, you know? One of the expressions I've learned is nostalgia is one of the most powerful drugs, you know? Like, um, I mean, candle makers, all they, you know, outside of the, you know, real high-end ones that, you know, people have, but like all those scents are just playing off nostalgia, like the ice cream truck or, you know, like, the, the 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 freshly hung linens it's all nostalgia plays um and so things that tie you back to your youth or fond memories um that's why mitchell and ness is a multi-billion dollar business you oh know God, man. Oh oh I, I, I would love to have a phone booth for miles <laughs> <laughs> you know what's and what's funny you said it's like for a lot of reasons because you could just go in there and read you know, you might not even right, just walk the phone. Phone. Hold, it, hold it together and you're in your own little booth, man. Well, it's like Ice-T has a vending machine in his house, you know? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. That's dope. Okay, man. 
Okay, Ryan, I, I see that you uh, mentioned uh, PSA and Becky. Can you tell us the main contrast as far as the grading system from your perspective? Yeah, so I mean, PSA, so like we go back in the day when all these companies emerged, it was kind of like this company SGC, they sort of had the lockdown on the vintage market. So anything kind of like pre-1960. And then Beckett emerged as anything that was sort of shiny, like a Chrome card or a card that had an autograph. That's where Beckett and then PSA filled the very large middle. Well, what happened was, was that PSA, quite frankly, as silly as this is, you know, their case is just, it's thinner. They stack, they're more stackable. This right. is a Beckett case, it's thicker. It's got rougher edges. They get a lot more dinged up. Um, PSA cases just like took off. And so the value of PSA, like a PSA 10 and a BGS 9.5 used to be not that different in value. Now they're very different in value. Um, but we're gonna start seeing that that kind of, you know, settling down. So those are the three main ones. PSA is a leader by far, but you know, they got so busy, they had to shut down taking in cards. Wow. So that caused me to open up my horizons and, and submit cards to a couple of the other companies. Yeah. I, um, I read a story on ESPN.com recently where they were talking about, um, in terms of the memorability, what Rob was saying about if it, if it was actually authentic or not, that they said that they had um, like baseballs that people were claiming to be baseballs from significant it, um, significant events yeah. and, and history. How, do, how does one, how do you weed out what's real and what's fake when it comes to things like that? Well, so what's nice about, let me see if we got one on my desk. I know I did. Um, so anyway, baseball, MLB was one of the first companies to do this. And this is only about 15 years, the program's 15 years old, but, the, but they hologram game used items. And so they actually have someone who's like a, a retired like accountant or auditor. The program was original, originally done by Accenture. Uh, Anderson Consulting launched with MLB probably 15 or 20 years ago. And that person, they have to watch it the entire time. And then they then they put one of these holograms on it and it goes into a database. So thankfully, all the leagues have some format of that. So current stuff, it's unless you're being stupid or greedy, it's hard to get ripped off, right? But before that kind of provenance, you really were were tied to things like, for example, in the nineteen in like the late '90s and early 2000s. My my prized possession is a Michael Jordan game used playoff jersey. Okay. So that went for a lot of money recently, didn't it? Well, a UNC jersey just sold for like 1.5 million. Wow. Um, my, mine probably isn't quite at that level due to the fact there's more Bulls jerseys on the market. But one of the reasons there's more Bulls jerseys on the market is that the charitables, the foundation arm of the Bulls, they would they would sell a lot of this stuff. And mm -hmm. so my jersey has a letter from the charitables. But then also there's photos because every jersey is unique. Like, you know, these jerseys, they're not handmade, but they're not entirely machine made. So there are uniqueness. Like you can like see like the J is like an inch and a half from the shoulder line on this short jersey and it's two inches from the shoulder line. You know, so it's photo matched to a specific game. And so the photo matching, the letter from the Bulls, that's really important when the, before there was high-tech cameras and every game was on tv you yeah. really have to go off the the provenance you have to go off the story you know the chain of custody and that's where things get you know a little bit dicey um you know and so that's why that stuff sometimes doesn't have quite the same value that you might think it would because there's still some level of doubt in that stuff from the 1980s 
you know, or, and earlier, you know. Yeah, they, were, they, were, they were saying that people were claiming to have like um, handwritten confessions from the White Sox scandal and right. things like that. And it's like, how, how do you actually determine that that stuff is legitimate? Yeah. Right. You know, and you can only determine so much. So like, for example, like there's paper experts and there's ink experts. So like they can at least, they can say, okay, this, this is from that era. This letter was written some by, sometime between 1917 and 1921. Okay, well, that's pretty good, right? And then you got to do handwriting samples, right? And But there's still going to be that, that level of doubt. But sometimes you can get pretty close to the chain of custody making some sense. Okay. Car collecting is a, is, is a game of patience. You have to wait. You know, you have to wait so long. So what, what is a, determ a determined time? Let's say this is Ja Morant. He's a second-year NBA player. When, 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 he'll, when will his value take off um, being, being, being a young player? Well, so, and, and what's interesting is you're kind of taking the, the, the previous wave's perspective. So back in the day, you're right. You would really need for a player's pedigree to just start stacking up. Right. for the card to really gain value. Like, I mean, you think back about like the first $100 cards that were consistent was like the 85 Topps McGuire and like the 1990 Leafs Sosa, mm -hmm. you know, because they were chasing real history and they also had pedigrees to them. But now- Man, I had, a, I had a, I remember collecting, I had a Greg Netter. <laughs> 78 Topps or, yeah. It was 78, I came with the bubble gum and all that. Right. Well, yeah, and so the issue was was that those cars were just so mass-produced. There were literally millions of them, and they're all the same. Well, now, cards, because of the grading, there's only so many that get graded at PSA 10, and then other cards have serial numbers associated with them, right? So, like, the scarcity factor is definitely there. Even though there's still millions of cards being produced, you start narrowing it down right, based right. on different kinds of cards and the grading. And then now, because there's all these vibrant markets like eBay and Starstock and ComC and MySlabs to where like you can transact almost not like stock trading, but pretty close, right. you know? And so that enables people to say, you know what? Like Tyler Hero's market was in the trash. He had a couple hot games, you know, so his card was at like 200 bucks, fell down to 85 and it came back up to 125 in one night. It went from 85 to 125 in one night. And so I think that has to do with the internet and that has to do with um, the sort of speculation aspect. Now, something like this, like the Bird Magic, you know, Irving rookie, right? Like this is a car that's more of a blue chip investment to where you just have to be patient and over time it kind of steadily goes up. So the retired guy, sometimes you do need a lot of time to sit back and say, okay, who, who historically really matters? right? Like who culturally really mattered. And that's why, you know, we're seeing this emergence of Iverson and Shaq have recently reemerged as very popular. Just be like, wait a second. They had their own sneakers. They had their own brands. They changed the way certain players played the game. It took time to really appreciate that. Right. What's the value on that card you just put up? Well, I mean, so this card here, this in this BGS 8.5, it's like a $3,500 card. Wow. But if it was a PSA 10, there's one up at auction, it's probably gonna go for a million bucks. 
So this card, you can buy a really banged up version for about 500 bucks or the best of the best for a million dollars, all based on the condition. Based on the condition. Now, when you all get based a car, on the condition. Now, when you get a car like that, is it is it safe to put it in a case, put it in a frame, keep it keep it somewhere and don't no one touches it? Well, you know, so that's what that's what's interesting is that like you the once it's encased by Beckett or PSA, it can be out in the light more than a card that's not in a case. But you still want it to be, you know, you probably don't want it exposed to the light more than two hours a day. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, man. I, I, I went. Everybody that's 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 gonna view this. Um. Ah, man. I went through your Instagram, and I saw one of my favorite players of all time. R.I.P. to Kobe Bryant. Tell us how we how that interaction of how you met him and also once Kobe gets into the Hall of Fame what do you think is the prediction of the uh, percentage wise as far as you know uh, would it would it be something that'll be 5x or so or what yeah so in terms of the, the meeting Kobe when I was a kid you know I chased autographs so like in Houston's a pretty good autograph market because you know, the teams would stay at the Houston Galleria or they would stay at one of the hotels and like, they have to get on the bus. And so like, generally they have to walk past you and, and players are really hit or miss about their signing habits. I would say that they've actually generally gotten better. Like Steph Curry signs his ass off and I think he partially does it because he knows the cameras are on. And so he, he looks very affable. Um, same, same with Luca. Um, LeBron rarely picks up a pen, but you also like LeBron also doesn't necessarily get on the team bus like everybody else. I mean, he's at a different level, right, um, right. you know, but like in Houston, just chasing autographs and, you know, um, you know, then we started asking for photos and stuff with the guys. And, uh, you know, it was just like when they'd have, you know, they come into town a day early, they'd have practice practice or they'd go out to dinner. And the night that I got my photo with Kobe that time, it was weird. I guess it was like near the holidays. And so people like were with their families and he came out to go to dinner and there's, there's only five of us. Usually there'd be like 20 of us. And, you know, sometimes they would do it, sometimes they wouldn't, but he was just super cool. And, you know, Kobe was always hot and cold about signing. There was times he would just be a phenomenal signer and other times he just didn't like doing it. Um, you know, it kind of sums up his temperament, quite frankly, and sort of his persona uh, over, over the life of his career. Uh, so I was very fortunate to learn how to chase autographs and, you know, sell them on eBay. And what I will say as players, like if they ever ask you if you're selling it, you know, if you are selling it, be honest, they love it. They get a kick out of it, you know, like, you know, they hate it when you're, when you're like getting four things signed and you're like, oh, I'm keeping it. And she's like, come on, man. Like, you know, give me a break. Um, um, but in terms of Kobe's market, things like Hall of Fame inductions and all that stuff, they're kind of baked into the market, right? So like, it's kind of expected. Now, when he passed away unexpectedly, that's when we saw like a signed Upper Deck jersey authenticated by Upper Deck. It went from $1,500 to $8,000 in a matter of an hour, right? Um, and they've held pretty steady at those levels where I think that we're starting to see the appreciation with Kobe. So where the Hall of Fame helps is that there's gonna be people who, there's a lot of people who only want one or maybe only 10 cards or they don't wanna have a bunch of stuff. 
you know, they're going to see all the news around the, the induction and they're going to be like, you know, I don't have any really cool collectible for Kobe. And then that's kind of where there's this artificial peak. So there will be a peak. Certain items are going to go up a lot, but it'll come back down right, right. Um, and, and normalize. And then it's a matter of what happens to it, uh, you know, over time. Yeah. Now, my second question is, how? tell us how important is that Mike Trout rookie card? Well, you know, what's interesting about Mike Trout is us, you know, John Morant and Zion Williamson probably have about 300 different rookie cards, plus all the different signed versions and, and parallel versions of them. Mike Trout really only has about five rookie cards. So that 2000, and actually funny you said, I haven't even got one on my desk. Um, but this is one that's not graded. Um, so this card's just become iconic, right? So this card raw is like 500 bucks. And as a PSA 10, it's like four grand. Um, it's just, it just became iconic. It's a very clean design. It's got the rookie look. It's got the rookie logo. And something that people don't appreciate that I do is that he's actually wearing a throwback uniform. When he was called up, it was the 50th anniversary of the team. So they wore a lot of throwback uniforms that year. So it's just a great, it's just a great, all around great looking card. Um, and that's a safe investment, you know? I mean, I think that it's one of those things, I mean, if you believe in Trout, you know, um, I, I think it's a safe investment. And actually, I don't have that graded because he was in Houston and I was gonna, he's, he's usually a pretty good signer. So I was gonna try to get him to sign the card, but I got too busy with work and, you know, couldn't get out there. Yeah, I, I would bet on Trout, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> as, as a kid, I would go to the mall and, and, you know, my experience with memorabilia would be shops at the mall. Um, I remember um, growing up in the Bronx on Fordham Road, they had a memorabilia shop that we would go to with our cards and things like that. But I noticed that memorabilia was one of the first industries to move away from the traditional brick and mortar um, and go online and explore other avenues. Like, what do you attribute that to? That's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think that we saw a big crash. One of the reasons I think cards, so like they peaked in, let's just say 1990, 1991, 92, <clears throat> eBay became a really big thing by around 97. It came out, I guess eBay was invented in 95. So if you were a kid and let's just say like, I, you know, if I'm in Houston, Texas, there's like four main card shops, maybe 10 card shops within like a pretty, you know, within an hour's drive, right? At most, there were 10 Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards for sale. So there was this like perceived scarcity that every card shop maybe had one in their shelves at any given time. Well, then the internet happened and you had all that inventory go online. And so what happened was, A, dealers started getting a lot more liquidity. So like that analogy about Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell, like, the dealers did, from Miami didn't need to come to Houston to liquidate Jeff Bagwell and Craig Vigio. Mm -hmm. They could just post it on eBay. And so that sort of liquidity to get cross market and kind of break down that the, the kind of geographical regions is really what, what prompted that sort of flooding and early rush, because you're right. I mean, memorabilia was almost ahead of books. People, you know, like memorabilia was selling in a higher percentage of supply than books were, you know, exactly. I mean, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I, I, I'd say in terms of memorabilia is I give memorabilia credit for creating, for broadening, broadening the spectrum in terms of resale culture. So now we see sneakers resold, we see clothing resold, we see all these different things 
um, being resold. But I don't, I don't really hear people give memorabilia collectors and memorabilia dealers their just due in terms of being at the forefront of this. So as a memorabilia collector, like, um, you know, has anybody ever came to you and said, well, you know, you guys had the vision <laughs> or you guys kind of paved the way? Because now you see there's all different types of stock X apps. There's just everything out there for reselling. It's, it's a hell of a question. And there's sort of two points. I would say that like that sort of like that, the thousands of card dealers and the thousands of guys that would set up at card shows regularly, there was never a prominent face, right? There was never like a spokesman for the industry. A couple times where there were spokesmen, like this guy named Mr. Mint Al Rosen, who was known for just carrying around hundreds of thousands of dollars and buying out collections, he ended up getting a bad rap, you know, like, you know, like eventually people like Mr. You know, Mr. Mint is like taking advantage of these grandmothers who have these cards and stuff. So like he was the face, you know? And so there was, there was a bit of sort of like a shady element to it. Whereas you take Josh Luber from StockX and I'll, and I'll, and I'll tag Josh in this, you know, he kind of became the face of sneaker resale. And you're like smart, savvy, understands technology. Right. So like, people could hang their hat on him from a media perspective and be like, this is media friendly. Now, at the end of the day, these card shows, man, like these people are never wearing collared shirts, their pants around their ankle, you know, like sweatpants, they haven't bathed. Like you wouldn't leave your four-year-old kid with some of these car dealers. Like it was just a dirty, dusty ass crowd. So, I mean, so like it just wasn't presentable to the media, whereas Josh, well-educated, you know, got it. You know, a lot of these other industries, there was a spokesman and like, I still go to car shows like, what's wrong with you? Like, when did y'all bathe? Like you've got millions of dollars of cards in this case in front of you and you can't get some ivory soap. Like it, it's just, it's it's a little bit weird. It's, it's like the, the guy, it's a lot of guys that are still in their parents' basements with millions of dollars of cards and they're just socially a little awkward. Yeah. It, it took the sneaker guys, quite frankly, who were cool and street savvy to kind of actually make that collecting and flipping a little bit more palatable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, cards and memorabilia laid the foundation, but I mean, it was just a really shady, not media savvy group of people, you know, doing it, you know, quite frankly. Um, but you're right though. I mean, it really did pave the way for a lot of other industries. Yeah, I mean, I've always known that it was predatorial. You know, I would go to, I go to these shops and you know, you go to the shop, you can have a card that you that you know, because at that time, look, I'm in my early 40s. At that time, for me to get the information on the value of my card, I would have to go and actually get a magazine and look it up and things like that. But you go into a shop and you're like, well, I have this card and they'll they'll give you, they'll attempt to give you substantially lower than what your card was actually worth. Yeah, yeah. And so if you think about that, like the, there's a lot of memes about GameStop, how GameStop gives people like, a, a penny on the dollar for their games and like card dealers did it the same but you know GameStop was this publicly traded corporation so like that wasn't shady because it was like a brand but like the guy running a, a baseball card shop on the corner who hasn't bathed in three weeks like he's a weirdo when he offers you a penny on the dollar so again it's all about marketing and positioning and quite frankly the card guys never properly position themselves. It's only now 
that we've seen content creators from sneakers. So it's kind of like, and there's other, there, you know, sneakers is just a big one, but it's like the card guys laid sort of the blueprint, the sneaker guys then put content on top of it. And now we've got the card guys coming back and kind of picking up on what works there. Yeah. yeah I'm going to ask you, man, how, you know, how important is it, is it to find a reputable dealer? But I guess if you got, if your nose is strong enough, you know it. The one that's strong. <laughs> well, well, there's that. And then also, you know, I do a lot of business with Ken Golden. And there's times where my stuff doesn't sell for what the current market is. And there's times my stuff sells for way above my expectations. So firstly, I have the sense of like, it's going to even out. But the reason I like dealing with a guy like Ken Golden versus someone anonymous on eBay, because again, I'm not worried about authenticity. I, I know the ins and outs of authenticity, but I can go to Ken and say, look, man, I'm really looking for X, Y, Z. And he'd be like, you know, I know who has that. Let me email him and see if he wants to sell it. And then likewise, I can tell him, hey, I'm not ready to auction this, but if you get someone who's interested, we can do a private sale. Right. So his Ken Golden's world is about 20 times broader than what you see on any given monthly auction. So to me, that's where I think, and, and look, there's different strokes for different folks. I like Ken's personality, he's fast moving. He's an aggressive business person, but he gets stuff done. There are people in the card world who want someone to like sit down and fawn over a $10,000 card for an hour. Mm. Ken throws $10,000 cards around like I throw around lollipops. I mean, it's just, just, you know, what it is to him. And I'm fine with that. I want someone who's comfortable tossing around a million dollars with the cards like it's nothing you know so but again you there's people who just don't like that they want to deal with it's like oh man i'll find the right home for this card and i'm gonna go through my rolodex and i'm just like i just just fucking sell them thing autograph versus no autograph and why just depends on the item um you know I think we're starting to see a lot more popularity for autographed items because it's just one more thing to distinguish it from uh, the general pack. And if you think about like, originally, like back in the day, like you would never get a valuable rookie card like this signed. It was considered like damaging the card. But now if the card's only gonna be a PSA six, a way to add value is to get it signed. Um, and if you look at like signed first editions, like the Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, the signed ones sell for about 10x the unsigned ones. So, yeah. you know. So, so for, for, for a novice collector, someone coming in, how important is it to have a budget before you go into buying cars? Okay, so I think that's an important part because you can get hooked on this stuff like you wouldn't believe. And you can start going down rabbit holes that either aren't profitable or like a month later, you're like, oh, this really wasn't that cool. Right. And so I think that it's about having a budget and then also being like really, really focused. And like, so for me, while I have a pretty diverse collection, you know, I'm never gonna have more than 10 game used jerseys. Like that's my cap, right? From a space perspective and a management perspective, um, my core focus for my cards is a hundred iconic cards. Mm -hmm. So technically anything that's not in that hundred card case is for sale. And that helps me stay a little bit more balanced about what I'm really trying to do. And like, so for example, I picked up, um, uh, I want to do a big reveal, but I'll do it here. I picked up the 1914 Cracker Jack Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless. And so to give, to give you some perspective, there've only been about 60 of those cards ever authenticated. 
by perspective, that Honus Wagner that sells for a million to $2 million, there have been 50 of those. So this card is not that much more prevalent than that card. Um, and they don't pop up often. And the reason I like the 1914 Cracker Jack is that like they were literally just put into boxes of Cracker Jack, right. like with the caramel corn and everything else. So that's very, if you think baseball, you think buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. Right. Um, and then also Joe Jackson's place in history, because you know you guys were talking about, you mentioned like there was, you know, the, the, the Black Sox scandal. His history is very twisted, you know? We don't, you know, he was illiterate. There's not a lot of autographs of Joe Jackson. Wow. He only had a couple cards, and I just and then then the movie Field the Dreams. So to me, Joe Jackson is just sort of like a true I, I, sort of like Grail type figure in the sport of baseball. Yeah, talk to us about um, star stock market. You know, conventional wisdom many years ago for a collector was that it was all about uh, longevity. Like as time passed, your card would increase or your memorabilia would increase in value. But now I'm learning. I'm doing some research that the market, there's a market that fluctuates in terms of value for, for the, these items. Well, yeah, so for example, uh, the catcher for the Oakland A's, Sean Murphy, okay? His rookie card, ungraded, just raw, but in good condition, is about a 50 cent card, okay? And Starstock has, you know, let's just say 100 of them on their website, and they're priced at anywhere from 50 cent to four dollars right you you as the seller can decide what you want to price it at. well if that guy hits three home runs tonight every card is going to get just wiped out and the market's going to go from 50 cents to four dollars literally overnight wow. and then if he, and then if he stays then if he gets cold for a number of weeks it'll come back to that 50 cent mark right so star stock makes it possible to just buy a volume of cards with one click and then the other nice aspect is like, if you buy that card on eBay, you have to pay shipping fees. And then secondly, you then have to wait for it to come to you before you can then relist it. I can go on there right now and buy a bunch of cards. And as quickly as I buy them, I can post them back for sale. So I, I put a little bit of capital. So I'm an investor in the company and I'm someone who really doesn't really do a lot of that flipping but I know the market's very real. And so like, I was like, rather than me investing and becoming a flipper, I'll invest in the platform smart that'll smart. make it a little bit easier for those guys to do what they like to do. Yeah, very, very, very smart. It's similar to the StockX model, but except for StockX, they don't have the ability to flip until you actually receive the item. Once you receive the item, then you can flip it. And, and I bet, you know, they're really smart. Their CEO, Scott Cutler, I got to know him when he was at StubHub because our company was the largest source of inventory to StubHub when he was CEO. And so he's thinking of stuff like that. He wants it to be a lot more nimble because right now at the schedule release, there are people, you know, the Raiders, for example, their home opener, people were putting out tickets for a thousand bucks in the lower bowl there were speculators who bought them and immediately reposted them at a thousand. They bought them at a thousand, they reposted them for 1500 and they sold, wow. right? That type of volatility that could exist in the sneaker business. And likewise, my thing with sneakers is, um, I can't store that many, you know, like <laughs> this, you know, and I, and I like to buy, like I had some success buying like hundred dollar sneakers, like Jordans that didn't sell well. You buy them at retail and you just wait, and then they get up to 200 or 300 bucks. But I just couldn't, I just, you know, that was like a room in my house. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. We, actually, we, had, um, we had a sneaker aficionado 
Pixie Jixie on one of our shows and she was talking about the amount of money she spends on maintenance for the sneakers. Like she's like inequality and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, that's definitely something to consider. Well, you know, because if some of them, again, it's also like, it's funny, like with baseballs, like there's certain years of baseballs where the autographs don't stick to them because they like in 2013, all the all-star ball games are screwed up. They had a different leather to them. So the ink doesn't stick to them. With shoes, you never know like what what glue or like the leather and stuff. And so yeah. it can get bad quick. Like fives, like OG fives, there are no OG fives. They all disintegrate. You know, and so like with that kind of investment, if she's planning on sitting on some for three to four years, yeah, she's got to pay for climate control and, you know, the right hydration or dehydration. I mean, it, it, it can get complicated. Yeah. Yo, yeah. Can you, can you, go ahead, Zach. Can you tell us, uh, being that the pandemic started in 2020 and is carrying over to this year, 2021, Tell us, do you see the importance of an inflation as far as for cars that were manufactured in, in, in 2020 and going into this year, 2021, and how would that affect uh, later on down the line as far as for marketability for these cars out, no matter what the Well, so, I mean, obviously there's like the real dollar inflation, right? I mean, the government printed more money. So, so that's one of the reasons that quite frankly, crypto is doing well. And it's one of the reasons that I do believe in cards you know, long-term. Now, to the point about overproduction, you know, um, the cream always rises to the top. So if you think about like the base prism Zion Williamson, 15,000 of them have been graded PSA 10. The silver shiny version, I think there's only been like 2,500 that have been graded a 10. So while it might cost more to get the silver, the silver version, that might be a safer bet if you are worried about that type of production. So I have a there, couple of those. You got a couple of silvers? Yeah, I got, give me one second. Go go, go ahead, uh, fellas. I'm a, uh, go get on. you an on air appraisal from you. <laughs> He's going to the safe. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what, what's but, your but to that point, what I was going to say is like the other thing that emerged is that like um, family offices, right? Like rich people that we don't know about, you know, they have they have companies that run manage their money. A lot of those families would buy art, you know, and they really just sell art to one another. You know, all the tall buildings in Manhattan, like half of them are owned by the same eight families. And they're really just sort of trading amongst themselves. People forget that banks will only insure up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So there's a, there's an inherent need to not have all your money in banks, and that's why you see things like real estate and art. I think we saw this next generation of like rich kids. They're now their families like, okay, you have a say in our investment strategy. Like, look, I want to buy Jordan rookies. I want to buy LeBron rookies. You guys want to buy Picassos and Warhols. I want to buy this stuff, and that did drive up the market a little bit. So that's another you know, equation that we're gonna see play out. Will they hold on to this stuff? You know, or or will they at some point liquidate? And I will say that, you know, if you look at the Warhol market and the Salvador Dali market, there are people who just don't let this stuff sell for less. You know, like they, there's a, one of the princes in Saudi Arabia, he owns like 30% of all the known Warhols. Anytime something hits auction and it looks like it's gonna sell for less than the previous one, he just buys it. Yeah, he buys it. You know, and so that's why I think some of these cards and stuff, I think that some of them are safer than people realize, but then some of them are more dangerous than people realize. 
Yeah, no, it's a smart strategy. That way, you know, you retain the value of your um your collection. You know, I mean, I if you have the money and you've got the ability to store all that stuff and you somewhat enjoy it, you know, why not? You know what I've, I've always wondered? And, I, I, you know, like from the, the card manufacturers, they know that the secondary market is, is so huge. Like, how do card manufacturers live with that? We're selling these items for a couple of dollars, but then somebody else is turning around selling one card for 10 times the markup of that. And literally, it could be a month later. So, you know, it, the card world kind of is, tra is trailing the sports ticket world. And so before we felt we saw teams for the sake of their brand, they weren't comfortable pricing tickets up. But now dynamic pricing is a very real thing. And just today we learned that Target and Walmart are going to slowly start taking cards off their shelves. Right. Boxes that cost 20 bucks people are literally getting in fights and then camping out like bums in front of their store to get these cards. And then they get the box for 20 and they sell it for 150. Yeah. Right? Target doesn't care about the fact that like people are making money on the cards. It's just confusing. Imagine you don't know what cards are and you walk by and there's like guys fighting in Target. Like, <laughs> are you gonna go back to the Target? I mean, you really might not, you know? Yeah. So they've got to get the cards out. So that means that Panini and Tops they might just start selling more on their website and they really might start playing with dynamic pricing. You know, like, hey, we got 20,000 in these boxes. The first 10,000 will sell at 20 bucks. Then we're just going to sell it at market price. Mm -hmm. We could see that. The, the other thing about card manufacturers is like National Treasures is like the brand for football and basketball. It's like a, it's like a six card box at like $4,000. And these boxes retail at 1,000 and they're immediately worth 4,000. Sometimes they're like worth 8,000 really quick. That's a good card. I'll talk about the premium stocks. Um, Who's that? Yeah, they'll be immediately worth 6,000 and the card companies, you like, how do they let this happen? Well, look, if you're a dealer and you wanna buy National Treasure, they make you buy a truckload of the crap that doesn't sell, you know? And so that's sort of the game. So the manufacturers are able to produce all this shit and then make the dealers buy it to get access to high margin products. That's what they do. They do that with this in the sneaker industry also. Of course. They do it yeah. in the sneaker industry to, to make sure that they, you know what? It's great. You want these Jordans, you want to take all these other shoes that nobody has any interest in. So, <laughs> our inventory. But I, I, I was, if I was the CEO of this company, I would be potentially thinking like, man, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. And, and they're thinking of ways to recapture it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Can you insure your collection? Yeah, it is insured. It's insured. And and the insurance, you know, and this is for watches, this is for anything. You know, your homeowner's policy does not cover you outside of the home. You know, so like you've got, and like sometimes, sometimes flood. You're, you know, like people have, you've got to, man, so many people get hustled by just not looking at the details. Like, right, right. you're like, oh, I'm safe to have this insured. No, it's not. It's not insured under certain circumstances. So getting cards insured, like for example, my cards are only insured in my house. So like if I take them to a card show and they get stolen, that's too sad, too bad, so sad, but I could pay up for that insurance. Um, and same with like watches and stuff. It's a lot, if you wanna only insure your watches in your house, that's different than if you want to have them insured where when you're out and about. Right. Yeah. You have to have a massive collector to have to only be interested in having insurance in a house because 
Most people if you have a couple of Rolexes, chances are you're gonna wear them out. Zion rookies, but I'm a big LaMelo Ball fan. Uh-oh. And now, these are just some of the Zions that I have. Okay. I have the Back to the Future. I got two of those. I have the NBA Hoop Zion. I have this one, Frequent Flyer, NBA Hoops. From this year, yep. Yep. Prospect Collegiate Card. So you don't like grading. So you're you're staying into into the the ungraded side of the world. Yeah, but I'm a I'm a eventually get them graded because I heard PSA is it's just so much of a backwater. They saying like right. six to nine months just to get the cars graded. Well, and they're shut down. Like they're I'm not imagine. taking in new cards. So right. um, you could try SGC and stuff. But yeah, those are great cards and they're very nice. That that slam card. That slam card. They did a bunch of iconic slam covers. Like the one that I like is actually the white chocolate one. The all white right. one where he's got the toothpick in his mouth. They right. made it. They made that into a card. So like people like me who remember that issue when it came out, like I, I had to have that card. The, right. the LeBron, they did the LeBron from 2004 Slam magazine. They put that in a card in 2021. There's a great LeBron, you know, like LeBron St. Mary's card, his high school it just, card. It just speaks differently to you, you know. What's your most valued piece? Uh, that Jordan game used jersey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that I've told Ken Golden that once he gets a seven figure offer that we can talk and, and he's gotten them and I'm and then I'm kind of nervous. So um, the rule is this. So we'll put this out. So you said that there's some famous people you like to come upon. The rule is this. If, if Drake, Jay-Z or Kanye want the jersey, they can have it for a million. If someone else that I don't know wants it, it's 1.5 million. So that's the, that's, that's the rule at the jersey. That's 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 a million in MT one. You got that. Look, what what's 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 it worth to get to meet Jay Z or Drake, right? Like if I have something to say to them, that's worth half a million dollars. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk about rap artists. Jay, I seen on your page, Jay Z got a card. Up and people for, people forgot about it. So he was he did a top spokesman deal in two thousand five, and it actually fell flat. People didn't like it. People thought it was sort of stupid. But then what happened was The Rock. He had a card from when he was at the University of Miami. That card oh, took yeah. off like a pistol. And then everybody started thinking, what are all these random cards? Now, my favorite card is Barack Obama was in 2008 Topps Baseball, and he was in 2008 Topps Basketball. And they're short prints. They're harder to find. That card still has not gone up as much as it's going to get. But I've been buying a it's funny, I, there was a Jay-Z card I bought for like a hundred bucks and it's worth like $5,000 now. Wow. Was it the Upper Deck Jay-Z rookie card? It's not, a, I don't, I've not seen an Upper Deck one. I don't know if he has an Upper Deck one, but yeah, he did upper a- deck. He, The Upper Deck did. one showed him with like a tie dress shirt and like a vest on. I saw That's it online. Right. You know your thing with Upper Deck? That was called uh, Luxury Box. That's, okay. that's, you got it in backwards. But yeah, Luxury Box was a Topps brand. Um, but you think Jay-Z, right? And then the other card that came out that I actually was the one who started kind of discovering this was was Drake was on a card with Justin Bieber in 2010. <laughs> so that was a $5 card that's now like a $100 card, $300 card. Yeah. What, what's, your, 
What's your thoughts on like the um the Pokemon phenomenon or the Pokemon cards? So so my thing is is that like I would like to dabble in Pokemon just to learn the market. Um, but like it's too inflated and it's too too complicated. So my thing is if I didn't like it growing up or if, if I don't really follow it, I really don't I shouldn't be messing with it. Like mm -hmm. that's a way to get hurt, you know? And um I dove into the sealed video game market. And like, I just took for granted that it was weird to have sealed video games. Like, why are they sealed? Like, it, it's just confusing. So I got out of that market. Once it started confusing me, I got out of it. And thankfully I got out of it profitably. But if like, people are getting hurt jumping into some of this stuff yeah. because they're hearing about the numbers, but it's not so simple. Like it, it, there are a lot of nuances to it. And, and it is definitely a greed driven market. And so, you know, people are not like, on eBay or, or any of these marketplaces, someone's not gonna tell you, they're gonna tell you, oh, the, if you ask someone that they're selling cards, is this card gonna go up in value? 99 out of 100, yeah, it's gonna go up in value. Well, then why are you selling it, motherfucker? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, 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 no one's really looking out for the buyer. That's, that's why, that's how my page actually took off is because I started attacking these guys that were using all these bullshit charts to show cards like certain cards were going up and i was like you need to tell us how many of those cards you own right. you know are you only talking about cards you own or are you talking about it you know and so like people like the fact because i don't care like cards because cards isn't my main line of work i, I don't have anything to lose a lot of these guys that know a lot about cards they've got to sit there and bite their tongue right. because they need product or they need this or need that and i was like i don't care like I'm going to, you know, people are getting hurt. You know, like people are, are being told to buy a card for 300 bucks. That was $50 just a month ago. Yeah. And it might go up to 600 and they're holding. And then it comes back to 25. Yeah. And I just, I just got tired of seeing that. And, um, you know, cause I want, I don't want people to get hurt. I want them to stay in the hobby for as long as they want to stay in the hobby. Right. Yeah. I wonder, you know, like I'm just listening to you talk and I, and I, and I kind of see it as almost like, um, different sets of collectors, like collectors that are um, passionate and they have a connection to whatever it is they're collecting. And then there's to me, like the people that are just collecting to flip. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I'm wondering like, how do you, almost for the people who are just collecting to flip, like how do you, how do you collect if you don't really have a connection to the item? Like you just solely looking at potentially this is what this could be. That seems like a lot of risk taking to me. So one of two things happens to those people is number one, they either end up kind of getting drawn in. And like this John Morant card's a great example because it's not one of his most valuable ones, but because it's such a cool picture, right. a flipper will say, this is this is not even a top 10 John Morant card, but it's so cool looking, I'm gonna hang on to this one. You know, because I'm only gonna get $100 for it. So I might as well hang on to it. And then they start being like, well, this card's cool and this card's cool. And they start actually building a little bit of a collection for themselves. And that's one way that they sort of, then they start learning more because they realize, well, if I like this, someone else might like me. Um, so that's one way that that flipper turns a corner. The other way is they just get smoked. Like they just, eventually, if you don't have a passion for something, you're gonna get smoked. It just, it, it, it's, we always see it, right? Like. It was like back in the, like, no knock on Kobe because I love him, but I mean, Kobe's rap career was one fucking song. I mean, because it sucks. I don't even remember that. You were absolutely right, too. 
you know, like, you know, just say, man, there's a lot of money to be made in selling sneakers and winning championships. So, you know, and then other guys are okay with it. Like, Dame, Dame, I'd lo- I would love for Dame Lillard to drop a real album. You know, I mean, sure. but he's, also in, he's also in it. He's also in it. He was in Oakland. He was on the streets listening to these guys. You know, he, he let himself get counseled by E-40. He learned the game that way. Kobe's just like, I'm super athletic. I'm charismatic. I'm smart as shit. You know, Kobe's a genius level IQ. He can put together a rhyme, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't him. Yeah, right, right, you know? right. Yeah, it's just a lot of, I guess, the, you know, those are the people who are just chasing. They're just chasing, they're chasing whatever it is, and after a while, it fizzles out. Well, and what I will say is that there are some people who are just good at that, and and they do, they know when to get out of stuff, and, and, and that's fine. Like, that's some people's skills, you know? like. They run from daily fantasy to sports cards to crypto trading, and they're just, they just get lucky, you know, but they also like have an inherent sense of this is over, I'm getting out, <laughs> I'm moving on to the next thing. And that and that's a skill and something I wanted to talk about because we talk about the card market, people forget how many markets actually exist in their lives. You know, their time has value. So like, if they just need money, they can get behind the the wheel of an uber or do like task rabbit and mow yards like everybody's time there's a market for your time now of course if you're educated in world history you can be a tutor and and you make more than you'd make driving an uber right and so people sometimes forget that like they inherently can make money especially in today's economy with uber and all these sort of things and i, I just think back like you know, if I was going to college today, I wouldn't go to college. What I would do is I would actually probably be a baseball card flipper during the day and drive Uber at night to pay my bills, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so many people get caught up on like, oh, I've got to invent the next Facebook. And it's like, no, like you can actually make a really good living and career just doing efficient things with your time. Right. But the next level to that is like, we take for granted, like there's people who, if you know if you've ever moved right just dealing with all the crap you know like you know you call someone and say look i will give you like i did this my last move i will give you my bed and my dresser but it's got to get out of here by 5 p.m on saturday when i'm getting kicked out of the building and my lease is up right you know these people are on craigslist and they've got a truck and they're going and getting it and then they might they might sell it the next day for 200 bucks but i don't care my problem was I had no way of getting that bed and dresser out of my apartment, literally no way. So right, right. It, it was a value for me to come, you know, just for them to come and take it. And so there's people who, man, old random ass pottery and certain VHS tapes and certain DVDs and certain toys. If people are willing to learn a market, you can spend a Saturday going around to stuff that people are literally throwing out or stuff people are giving to goodwill, yes, and make live, you know, yes, because sir. it's about a market, you know, either know how to market your skills or learn a market, <laughs> you know, market means two words, marketability and then market the value. I just, um, I just, I just remodeled my kitchen and when the contractor took the cabinets down, he said, why don't you resell them? We put those cabinets. The day we put them cabinets up, Within three hours, we had 90 people looking to buy. Yeah. And, Matt, and, and that was a Friday. We sold them Sunday. Yeah. 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 Just like and, that. 
and, and, and whoever bought it is going to repaint it or for, reduce something. Uh-huh. And you're like, this was free money to me. And they've got to put a little time. You know, what they have is they have space or they have time or they have a truck, mm-hmm. you know? And look, that, that, you know, people, I just get frustrated when people want to jump into something like cards because it seems easy. It's like, well, what have you done? What else have you done? You know, like, have you ever tried to do anything else? Well, no. Well, this is not probably the place to start. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I would say this, though, what I do appreciate about, you know, everything now going on also is that, you know, to me, the whole reseller market for clothes and sneakers and everything, it's taught a lot of kids how to be far more entrepreneurial than what it was when we were growing up. Like you said, us growing up, it was lemonade stands, selling candy bars, your, your card stand, things like that. But now these kids have business acumen where they be, they put it together and like I went I'm not sure if you're familiar with in New York City they have a store um named Kith and mm-hmm. they you know like I went down to Kith I had luckily won a raffle to get this amazing pair of sneakers I'm standing in line and I'm talking to the people in line and all the all the young folks online is like well I'm getting this for my buyers I'm picking up this item I'm doing this I'm doing that and I'm like wait a minute I'm getting these to wear <laughs> all of them were like oh no i have this that so it sparked me asking them questions and one of the things that i that i think is like um difficult for them is that they like you know some items we try to have people that we buy them for like there's buyers but then there are other items where we purchase because we believe they're going to be hot and then they have issues as it relates to inventory so some of them will go out and buy you know, 50 pairs of these Jordans that the, the kids are knocking each other over the heads on Saturdays for and then store it in their house. And then some, sometimes they get stuck sitting on it. But yeah, I, right. and I'm like, man, like these are, these are like real life lessons and teaching them entrepreneurial skills and giving them opportunity to go this new traditional route where they don't necessarily have to go to college to understand how business works. And some of them have done amazing things with it. Well, and so I think that there's a lot of lessons there and they need to learn how to use a spreadsheet or they need to learn how to pay an accountant. The, the day of, our day of reckoning is coming, though. You know, Joe Biden's allocating a lot of resources to tax audits. <laughs> so, you know, people need to be prepared because it's it wouldn't surprise me if it gets really ugly, you know, because PayPal sends you a W-2 if you do over 20,000, you know, I mean, so like. There are some people, and it's not the fact that they're going to be unwilling to pay the taxes. It's that they don't have records, you know, and that's how they're going to get popped. They're going to be like, yeah, I sold this pair of shoes for a thousand. I paid 500 for it at Full Locker. Well, let's see that receipt. Because if you don't have that receipt that says you paid 500 in cash, the IRS is going to say you paid fucking zero, you know, and that goes from a thousand dollar. You could add a $500 tax liability, but now you've got a thousand dollar tax liability. So that's the other thing is like, it might seem like it's a pain in the ass. Even if you just stuffed it all in a drawer, having that record, it's it's not gonna hurt you. You know, it's gonna help you when you've got to put together the pieces of how you made this money and that money. Yeah, that's, that's probably the level of sophistication they haven't arrived at yet. Well, they right. will when their parents get audited or something because they're using their parents' bank account or their parents' PayPal or whatever. You know, I mean, like someone's gonna, you know, Taxes have to get paid on this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Posters. Hey, I like uh, posters, man. Is a, a poster's good memorabilia. So I love posters. I've got the Costco brothers and old Nike posters. I'm a junkie for them. Mm-hmm. But the issue is storage. Like you know, you it's just tough. It's just really tough. But 
Yeah, old movie posters like an, now authentication there gets hard, but you can do paper tests. Like like the original poster from Rocky sells for like ten grand. Wow. You know, um, they used to make they used to make good old sport posters like the old Iceman poster. Oh yeah, and the, the, the Lawrence Taylor poster with the, the lasers coming out of his hands. Like, you know what my favorite all-time poster is? You ever seen the Magic and Bird Converse where they back-to-back and I think yes. it's a weapon? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Love a classic that. shoe, too. Get a pair of weapons. You, you doing something right now, bro. <laughs> For real. Hey, Ryan, where do, you, where do you see NFTs going as far as into the uh, sports collector's industry? And also, uh, can, you, can you speak upon your uh, company? as far as with the uh, ticket sales? Sure, so in terms of NFTs, like I respect it, but it's not for me, right? But like also I grew up liking printed out photos, you know, like in college, when we'd go to parties, there'd be this company called Tops, and Tops, the guy would, would take photos. And then like on Monday, you'd go dig through these binders and buy the physical photos. Like digital cameras didn't come out until I was, I was a senior in college. and so. I'm definitely a, a touch and feel guy, but but there's kids who have never held a physical photo of themselves. Yeah. You know, like everything's on their phone. And so they're comfortable collecting things on their phone. So I do respect that. It's just not for me. I think I think what we see with all markets is that like the best of the best is always the safest place to be. But sometimes it's nervous when you're like, okay, well, this LeBron top shots 5,000. I'd feel better buying 10 different top shots at 500. Well, what ends up happening is that like the dip just ends up being too drastic on the lower end ones. So whatever it is that people are doing is like, if you're in the flipping game, you need to flip into something big. You know, like that's really always what I'm doing is I'm trying to buy, you know, raw cards for 50 bucks that I get graded and then they're worth like 200 bucks. And then I get a $1,000 card. And then I'm trying to move my $1,000 cards into $10,000 cards. And then there's a situation where that Cracker Jack Joe Jackson at the market, and generally only only about one of those a year hits, mm-hmm. you know? And I had to, I had to, you know, I didn't pay for it. I'm selling all these $10,000 cards to pay for it, yeah. you know? And and that, and then then all of a sudden my collection is filled with like my, my 20 best items are all things that are worth $100,000 or more. Nice. What sport does real well in, in, in the collection world? Is it just baseball? I know baseball is kind of leading that. What I would say is that it's still it's still highly geographical. You know, so like in Canada, like baseball and football is kind of worthless and hockey has just tons of value. Big picture, basketball has by far the most upside and is, is now finally kind of like king. Basketball is finally king now. It's so international, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's just so international. I think football is probably the, the, I would probably be very nervous tucking away football cards. I think, you know, like we think about how like society changes, right? Like it wouldn't surprise me if in like a hundred years, people are like, y'all ate meat. Y'all <laughs> wild. Y'all were like eating animals. Like <laughs> that's going to happen. happen too. Right. Y'all are some savages. Like. <laughs> You ate a cow, you know, like, <laughs> right? Like we, we, we think about like, there's a, here, it's not just that my TV has 200 channels. I can watch over 2 million things on my TV, you know? And people are like, you don't need cable TV. What do you need 50 channels for, right? right? So like things progress and things, we're gonna look back at football and be like, we really let people do that? 
Like, yeah, you're right. You're right, man. I mean, and then it's like, oh, and then when they retired, we let them buy handguns and do drugs and shit. Yeah, that was a great idea, you know. Like, you know, we're we're gonna look at same with like UFC and stuff. I mean, boxing's a little bit different, but like, boxing matches. Uh, you know, um. Jack Johnson used to have 96 round boxing matches. It would take a whole fucking day. I mean, <laughs> it's like things change, you know? Um, yeah, and you need to be prepared for that. Um, so, so I would say that sport, you know, def- but also like, here's the other thing too. Like we've noticed like people's legacies change over time. You know, like, let me tell you something. Kobe, his market was not strong at the time of his death for two reasons. One, People are like, this guy's going to fucking be in our faces for the next 50 years. It's Kobe. He's going to be a big businessman. He's going to own a team. He's going to coach his daughter in the WNBA. We're going to be seeing Kobe a lot. So people didn't have this urge to go after Kobe. And still, there are some people who didn't like the, every time you hit the trash can, you know, Kobe, like some people didn't like that aggressive nature of him. But then when he passed away, all that stuff became very attractive, you know? Um, So you've got to think of like the context of like, one shade of glass, one shade of glass, one shade of glass. Oh, and then all the glass breaks and it's a clear picture. Right. Like, and that's where oftentimes where it's hard to really see. So you've got to, you've got to have your own vision for stuff. Like for example, um, the, to me, and I actually just got this in the mail today. I won this at an auction. I'm actively buying Martin Luther King Jr. Signatures. Oh, man. Wow. <clears throat> and so a piece like this would have been, and this is this is Beckett authenticated. So they have a guy who's an expert in Martin Luther King autographs, right? Like there's experts in his autograph. Like a year ago, like probably three years ago, these were a thousand bucks all day. Now they're five thousand. This is a fifty thousand dollar item someday. Okay, like we're still not that far past his death. You know, it wasn't that that long ago. You know, and like we're finally seeing Jackie Robinson have appreciation, and so. There's certain things where it's like so obvious, where you're like, you know, uh, Steve Jobs' autograph, you know? Now look, I thought Bill Gates was a great autograph. Sounds like that dude was with Epstein on them islands doing some stuff. <laughs> oh man. So, so, sometimes you need these guys, to be, you need, they need to be dead and cold for a little bit, you know? I mean, exactly. Apparently his wife ain't like them business he was having with Epstein. So, you know, so like that's the other thing is I I, I started plowing money into some, not a lot. I own three Bill Gates items, but I paid 500 to a thousand bucks a piece. Oh, he'll follow Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs autographs now five, 10,000 bucks. Oh, Gates will get there. Well, not now. Not if it comes out that he was Bill Cosby. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, 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 Ryan. Speak, oh, speaking man. about uh, players from back in the day, right? I purchased this several months ago, and I already have plenty of his cards. But speak about hustle. You speak about you think of Pete Rose, right? Pete Rose oh, hit the ball any any given time. He's gonna run as fast as he can just to get the first base. Charlie Hustle. I have an unopened box of the Charlie Hustle Pete Rose edition. Do you ever think that they would have this man in the Hall of Fame? And uh, what do you think would be... Uh, second question is, what's the better pick as far as a, a, a collection? A Trevor Lawrence or LaMelo Ball rookie? 
So I dislike both those two guys, so I want to punch them both in the face. I mean, <laughs> if Trevor Lawrence got a haircut, I'd feel old. And same with Lamelo, just get y'all's hair right. right. But they, they look like I want to punch you guys in the face. You know, so I'm buying neither of them. Trouble no. Lawrence would be a, um, somebody from Fast Times at Big Mall High. <laughs> oh, man. You know, so, you know, no, I want no part either of those guys. Um, oh, if I don't like them, like, look, charisma, looks, name, those guys have good names. You know, like, you think about, like, Mike, why Mike Trout is popular. Mike Trout, Trout, everyone knows Trout. Like, it's, like, relatable, right? So, like, name matters a lot, how they look, you know, matters a lot so i'm just careful with those two guys because like look lamello balls not really like you can't like him you know like look at him <laughs> okay better yet better yet better yet ryan i know two players that that, that you like Giannis and luca what's That's the better i love i love the fact that that donchick is actually hard to pronounce and Antetokounmpo is I can't even pronounce it. So Giannis and Luca, that's great. They're just Giannis and Luca, which is which is phenomenal. It's going to come that's one where we're going to need that we're going to need a time machine because yeah. we, you know, if Giannis fall he can't keep getting this far and then failing. You're you're almost better off being Trout and never getting to the playoffs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you know, being the best player to never win a championship. And and that leads me to the point about Rose being like Barkley to an extent and being like the man who never won one, like right. Dan Marino, like who's the best quarterback never won champion? Dan Marino. Who's the best power forward never won champion? Charles Barkley. I mean, like it's, it's you know, so Bar- there's a lot of that. Val- People said, look, Pete Rose has more value being the best player not in the Hall of Fame. Mm. And I, I, think, I think there's something to that, but he's going to get in. Okay, baseball's taking billions of dollars from MGM and Caesars and sponsorship money. At some point, people are like, let's just cut the shit, you know? Um, when Manfred steps down, that next commissioner is going to make himself a hero by getting the steroid guys in and getting Pete Rose in. And it's it's one of the reasons that I bought that Joe Jackson card is because if there's momentum for Pete, there will be a momentum for Joe Jackson. Right. Yeah. Um, and and the reason that I think, whereas like ten years ago, you'd be like, yeah, you you want to be the most famous player not in the Hall of Fame. That was before social media. Baseball and all these leagues, they own all this content. They never put out Pete Rose content because he's technically banned. They're not someone they want to promote. Well. Once he's unbanned, you know, tops can't make cards of him, right? So, like, once he's kind of back in the fold and once Joe Jackson's back in the fold, there's going to be a lot of product for them, and it's going to really bring attention. Like, these guys were good. Like, they were uniquely good. And so when there's officially licensed content around them, it'll it'll sort of heighten their appeal. And I just I just think there's too much money to not have those guys. And all. Like, McGuire... You know, he's Bonds, Clemson, are y'all, are, are they fucking nuts? Like, are you kidding me? And Kaseko was the one that started it all with the steroid stuff as far as letting out the bag. You know, and so so to me, it's like, come on, let him in. You know, you can't have people like, you know, who, Edgar Martinez. Right. It's, it's not a Hall of Fame if Edgar Martinez is there and Barry, Barry Bonds, is it? It's not a Hall of Fame. Oh man, I don't. I mean, yeah, Edgar, Martinez, Edgar Martinez got in on the distinction of what being, I guess, labeled the greatest designated hit all time because he didn't have three thousand hits, right? <laughs> no, he, he has none of the key stats, none of them. Yeah, 
So great. Yeah. Wh- one of the questions that I meant to ask you was tell us, and I'm sure whether they're a novice collector or even mid grade collector, as far as, uh, you know, duration of years that somebody been collecting, tell us about the error cards and what value that they put into the industry. So what people oftentimes don't understand about error cards is like uh, the card companies are not printing companies. They actually outsource the printing to companies that all they do is print. They print magazines, they print boxes, they're in the printing business. Tops does not own a printing press. So what ends up happening is that like all these different sort of printing plates and press proofs get sent out to the different printers. And A, sometimes errors happen in that. But B, what ends up happening is like a a set of cards comes off the press and they're like, oh my gosh, the image is backwards. Or in Billy Ripken's case, he's got fuck face on the base of the the bat. No, that's a great, that's an iconic card. And so they're like, we've got to stop the presses. Well, some, one of the printing press, like, well, it's too late. We've already printed. Okay, well, those are just gone. The other company's like, yeah, we'll stop the printing press. How do you want us to fix this? We'll just scribble it out with a white, with white out. Okay, then it goes back on the printing press. This company covers it out with a black with black uh, marker, goes back on the printing press. That's what makes it kind of interesting is that you realize that these things just don't appear. They don't, cards don't grow on trees. Right, you know, right. they get manufactured and there's there's errors in the manufacturing process. And then there's inconsistencies around how they cover up and clean up that error. And the other one that I have that's an error card, I have like three of those. I believe it's the Donruss Ken, Ken Caminiti. Ah, uh, yeah, and there's there's a few unique ones, but it was fun as a kid. You know, the error cards were so valuable because again, there was millions of all the regular cards, so you would spend hours just going through your cards, like, is it an error card? You know, like, what's wrong with it? And like, now what's interesting is they'd misspell a player's name, but it wasn't an error card because they never corrected it. So for mm-hmm. an error card to exist, there had to be a corrected version. Right. Man, I haven't heard that name in a long time. It's a King Caminiti. <laughs> yeah, I had it over here, man. I, I, just, I was just going through the cards earlier. Um, I had, What's the I market three of, value on the Caminiti card? Huh? What? What's the market value on a King Caminiti card now? Error card? I don't know. No, I don't know. it's a regular card, Pat. I don't know. It's, you know, the error is probably twenty bucks. I mean, some of them, some of them become harder to find over time. Yeah. How much you think these are worth if I if I got them graded, uh, Ryan? I have some John F. Kennedy. Ooh. Are those the 68? 60s? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those. What's interesting is they do look to be in pretty good condition. Um, yeah, they they they're pretty good. I, I I purchased them uh two two months ago. I would say that, you know, depending on if, if they get graded as six, seven or eight, so you put, you put 20 bucks in the grade, most of those will sell for 40 or 50 bucks, but where, where you make the money is you get lucky and one of them comes back at 10 and then that's worth a thousand bucks. Right. Keep them, bro. Keep them clean, yeah. bro. Well, Pat, I want to, I want to thank you for joining us. Your wealth of knowledge, um, you know, oh, yeah. get, picking your brain on this. Oh, it's, God, man. It's, yeah, this stuff in terms of memorabilia, just in general. Yeah. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you. I, I learned a lot, uh, Ryan. I learned a lot. I tell you what, Ryan. Uh, hey, man, I, 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 I'm sitting on so many cards, and I never sent any out to get graded. Do you recommend uh, Beckett or PSA? 
I, what I'm doing is I'm I'm mostly waiting to see what PSA does when they reopen, you know, um, and, and then I'm making some decisions. But I will say I have dabbled recently in sending some stuff to Beckett, sending some stuff to SGC, but it's stuff that I don't really, I might keep some of it in my personal collection, but it's mainly like getting it graded just adds so much value that I needed right. to do something with it because I've been accumulating stuff and, you know, I've, I've I've got a couple big bills I got to pay for other stuff that I that I bought. So, right, that makes sense. Well, Pat, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. Appreciate you. Right.